0: Well, now, I'm not an expert on, let's say, uh, Laotian, Cambodian, uh, myanmaran is that how one would say it? Uh, Indonesian, or... Um, uh, 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 I embarrassingly can't remember the other country in, in that, that kind of zone of, like, not India or China or Japan. What am I trying to think of? Not Myanmar. you got Malaysia, or, or okay, Malaysia. Now, listen, right? listen. I know it is probably as insulting to group those countries together as it is to say that like Tennessee, Kentucky and Texas are basically the same thing. I get it. Right. I just I could mm-hmm. I can't really distinguish between all of them. However, you know, here is here is uh, what I want your take on, Brandon, is now we can both. I think I think hopefully we can all agree as uh, humanity that both Thai and Vietnamese food are delicious, right? They they are they are yeah, like that. you know <laughs> maybe maybe right after Tex-Mex, they are one of the more perfect foods uh that that you can have. We had we had some Thai food tonight. It was great stuff. Now, they're both good. But what what I want to walk through is the strategy, the heuristic, the kind of thinking that you go through when you choose either one of them, right? Like You can't choose both at once, but you're going to have a meal. And when do you choose the Vietnamese food versus the Thai food? Hmm.
1: Well, that's a good question. I guess the shortcut would be if I kind of want the noodles, which I know was the bun, Mm. right? Isn't that? Uh I would go Vietnamese. But then if I was feeling like, you know what I want? Spicy. I want something kind of spicy. Then I would order the other.
0: This is interesting. That's not
1: really because... The reason it is it's like that is like I don't know the menus and the entrees that well. Mm. Like I only kind of know a few things in each one, but I just kind of think to myself, oh yeah, is like a little bit more spicy, um, and maybe it's like a like a pad Thai. I'd be thinking about that. Sure, like it's sure. sort of like yeah, maybe I, 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 I kind of in my head. I think back to like some kind of spicy pad Thai kind of thing. If I was in the mood for that, I would go Thai. But then if I want, you know. Uh, the Vietnamese like I want the pork egg rolls in the and oh. the, the noodles and then with uh, I usually get the, the I guess I just said pork, but the pork meat with the egg rolls. That's yes. the way I like it. So that would be the two decision points now. But admittedly the people that um are listening to the show that are really familiar with the foods are going to say like, I'm leaving out like the best dishes on each side. Like I don't really know what they are, which is true. So that that would be a a heuristic I would use.
0: Now that's the way I wanted to contextualize this thing is like, we're all saying there are the best dishes on each side, right? It's just, sometimes you want one, the best dish versus another, the best dish. And it's, it's a matter of like figuring out how, like, like, you know, if I were to ask you, Brandon, we can all agree that like bourbon is delicious more or less, right? And we can all agree that a, a ice-cold Dos Equis with maybe three slices of lime in it is also delicious. Definitely. But there there are different states of existence that you would prefer one over the other, right? Oh, Painting, for sure. definitely. painting the outside of your house in Texas in August, yeah, you don't really yeah. want a bourbon, right? Like, you probably want the Dos Equis, Yeah, right? is what you're going to choose. Of course. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: and, certainly, 100%. Please continue.
0: And, and so it's a similar sort of thing. It's like... You know, you got your uh, you got your mas men curry over here, delicious dish. You got your random Thai green curry, also delicious dish. You got your your pho or your pho or whatever you want to call it over here. Uh, maybe you got some uh, you got some fried rice situation in in Vietnamese land that's delicious. You could have your your spring rolls, either fresh or fried. Those are good. Or, as you cited, the uh, I, this is just what, what the, I don't know if this is the technical term, but you have basically a pho with no broth, which I is always on the menu as a bun. And, yes, I used to eat the uh, charbroiled pork with egg rolls. I think that, that, that mm. powered me through a full decade of my life at some point. <laughs> I love that just, stuff. Just, love just that. eating that. But, you know, it, it's just like it's good to sort of like because the situation is going to come up. You're going to have to choose between the two of them. You're not going to have a lot of time. You're, you know, you're worried about, like, drying bodily fluids from your, your two-year-old on your body if you've got to deal with that. And you need a heuristic. You need an algorithm uh, to select through what they are. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest the following because I, I put about two minutes of thought into this when uh, Kim, my wife, and I were discussing this. I think, now obviously, this is an oversimplification, uh, but I think that Thai food tends to favor coconut milk a lot more than Vietnamese food. I feel like there is some Vietnamese food that I have encountered that has the, you know, a coconutty thing, but a Thai food chances are pretty high if you just throw a dart at a, a Thai food menu, you're going to get some coconut stuff, right? It's it's a little thicker, more brothier, right? So I feel like well, going back to our analogy, I feel like Thai food is like is like bourbon and your Vietnamese food is more like the ice cold dosekis, right? Sometimes you want that like crisp sort of like uh, uh, clear is the wrong word, but you want that sort of crisp, fresh tasting thing of Vietnamese food. And sometimes you're just like, you know, just keep the bottle over here, bartender. We're we're just gonna we're just gonna eat this food. And that's I think so far, and you know, maybe the listeners have an idea of how to heuristically go through these things. But I feel like if I was trying to train the machine learning thing, that's the advice that I would give it.
1: Now Kote, I will give you one heuristic that overrides all of these. Everything we've just talked about here is Ultimately, you're going to go with, what is the food that my children may actually eat? Software Defined Talk is brought to you by Drada. Our compliance requirements slowing down your engineering team. Meet Drada, the simplest way to achieve continuous SOC 2, ISO 27001, PCI DSS, HIPAA, and GDPR compliance. Through a suite of over 60 integrations from AWS to GitHub to Cloudflare. Drata puts your security compliance on autopilot. Countless DevOps and engineering professionals from companies including Notion, FullStory, and Bamboo HR have shared how crucial it has been for expediting their software development processes and prioritizing their engineering hours. As G2's highest rated cloud compliance software, Drada empowers companies to see all of their controls, easily map them to SOC2, ISO 27001, PCI DSS, HIPAA, and GDPR frameworks, and gain immediate insight into Overlap. Your company can start building a solid security posture from day one with Drada. Achieve and maintain compliance as the business scales and expand security assurance efforts. Say goodbye to long days of spreadsheets and screenshot evidence collection and say hello to the future of automated compliance. Listeners of Software Defined Talk can get 10% off Drada and waived implementation fees at drada.com partner slash STT. Again, that's drada.com partner slash STT. And of course... We thank Drada for sponsoring our show.
0: Well, it looks like my friends in the European Union, uh, which you know, I have to say, I appreciate the European Union all the time. They, they, I I like what they're doing. I like the I like the cut of their jib. It looks like they are uh, they're getting into some 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 area of maybe uh, regulating, doing a little bit of project management about what what uh, what, what uh, we call messaging. Now, this isn't messaging like your Rabbit and your Tibcos and your Nats and things like this. This is this is what we used to call i think instant messaging chat direct messaging and uh you know i i as usual i haven't read in detail uh this stuff that's what you're here for brandon but All right, i do, i i do remember that there was this this notion i think maybe it comes into effect in 2024 i feel like there was an actual date that in the european union the eu as we like to say now if if you haven't spent a lot of time in european airports like like i have you won't realize that the EU actually also means EU plus Switzerland and like Sweden or something. I mean, Sweden's in the EU, but there's always like what you oh, can do. There's one more. I like Sweden is could... an,
1: an official member, but I'm no, I,
0: I think Sweden's in there. Sweden isn't part of the. Oh, I meant there's... Switzerland. Switzerland, they're... but
1: they're always neutral, but not neutral, but they still want to be in certain clubs. Is that what it's it is? There's a l-
0: little sidebar here. When it comes to the EU, there are three, at least from my ignorant perspective, three things. Three, uh, um, what would you call it? Three types of EU that you can be in, right? And there, one, there's the EU, the country uses the euro. I think this is like economic or something, right? So right. for exa- example, Sweden still uses the kroner, so they don't use uh, mm. the euro, as I recall. Okay. That's a uh, And then two, you have what they call, I'm going to mispronounce this, the Schengen Agreement, which basically means that you can go between countries and not have to uh, go through passport control. Mm-hmm. Is pretty much yeah. it. It, like it that. means that traveling amongst all the Shingen or have you say it countries is kind of like traveling uh, amongst the states uh, in, in the United States. You know, you just do it right. And and then the third one uh, is you know all the regulations and things that come right that like you have to uh, you know. This this sort of cheese can only come from Italy, right? Like, you know, the administrative so so side, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now the other dimension, that, and you see this when in airports, uh, when you go to the border control things, there there's almost like there must be a name for this, but there's kind of like the friends of the EU, right? <laughs> and and like and I think like Switzerland is always a friend of the EU. They're kind of mm-hmm. like I don't know about this EU thing, but and all the EU people are like, that's cool, you can come along. Right. Like it's uh, no problem. So Switzerland is always up there as like, okay. you know, an exception. And yeah, you know, I think, I think there might be some other, uh, major countries. Hey, let's get to the of
1: important like, things before we get on to the thing we want to talk about here. Like, is there like global entry for the EU? Do you have it? Can you get no, something like that? No, uh, there, 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 there is,
0: unfortunately there is something here in the Netherlands called privum. And okay. however, you have to be uh, an actual citizen mm. of an no, EU country I to apply out. for it. Residents, residence card holders, uh, which is to say me cannot apply to it, um, mm. which is, okay. Uh, well, you know, I don't Hey,
1: know. add that on to the requirements for the, something else. Like, Hey, I want to, although I'm not traveling here, I shouldn't say, it. I don't actually don't need uh, it that much, but it's always good to know.
0: Now, now I don't know if you uh, had the, the United Kingdom has a fantastic global entry like program. I think oh, they yeah? call it like, it's not called friends of the UK, but it's something like, you know, is UK it open Freeman
1: to non uh, citizens. Of-
0: I, I, it's at least open to Americans. Right. and because and, and you apply for it and you know i think it doesn't really matter so much now because everyone can do this but there were several years there where you had to be a uk citizen or be in this friends of the uk program and you could go through the um the automated passport things oh where you kind of just so put nice. your passport in and but i i you know recently i went when i went up there recently i think i think You don't have to be enrolled in the program. You just have to be like, you know, UK, American, or EU, and then you can go through uh, to that thing.
1: All right. Well, we're going to figure that out, you know, after we finish talking about, so that what you're referring to here was the Digital Markets Act. That Mm. is the big thing, or the DMA, which reminds me of, I don't know, lots of other things other than that. But the DMA Act is being passed. And so the, I guess the hoopla about this um, from the security people, is as it's written, it's going to be, I guess they call it the quote-unquote gatekeepers, which are like the really big companies, are going to be forced to interoperate with smaller companies. So what this means for like a WhatsApp is that they will have to basically, you know, if you will, integrate with like SMS or a smaller competitor that has a messaging service. Which on the face of it, right, like all these things with the EU, like I have such mixed feelings about the EU. It's like, as I've just laid out there, you're like, that makes sense. That would be great if things would interoperate. That's generally a good idea. Yes. But the, the little problem here is that if you want to do encryption, right, is that, well, depending on what services you have to integrate with may determine what kinds of encryption you can do. So right. You know, then we kind of get to the uh, common argument, the least common denominator argument that gets made all the time. Well, you know, then suddenly if I have to integrate with everything, then I have to like either weaken the encryption or potentially even remove it. So, so I don't know. I don't know where I come down on this whole thing. It's like, well, you know, on one hand it is nice. It would be nice to th- see things more interoperate. On the other hand, it isn't so bad to like just switch messaging services. Like you kind of pick the one that you like, I, I mean, I know we kind of talked about this before, but it kind of does feel like in the United States, don't come at me, Android people, but like, I feel like Apple messages is where you want to be. feels like yeah. in Europe, it's WhatsApp. I know uh, in uh, China, I forget the one that they're using, they have their own. So it's like, it feels very regional, right? Or you just kind of have to live with it. So I can't say this is a huge pain point in my life that I really think, I guess I would, if you ask me, I'd be like, I'd rather have stronger encryption and switch between the different apps. And even you got like signal and other things in there as well. Like I'm okay with that rather than, uh, give up security so that I could just have like one, uh, you know, old school, like what was the thing we used to use? Like I chat, there like, used to be one that, uh, you would aggregate all well, of your yeah, yeah. messaging. Oh tools. yeah. We,
0: we would use, uh, Jabber or uh, something. Well, Jabber was, was a protocol. And on the Mac you'd use this thing called Adium. Yeah. Adium. A- right? A-D-I-U-M. It's like, yeah.
1: But that was never that good. And at the end I was like, eh, I don't really like that that much. So yeah, I, I would, yeah. I would prefer, I think I would prefer switching services, keeping encryption versus the Adium approach.
0: Now, now, I, I know you said you don't like this, but you opened up a whole other thing here, which is interoperability is cool, but uh, uh, a layer less difficult than that is to say make, make your services open enough that a third party person could come in and be an idiom for it. Right. Like, and, and, you know, for example, right, like uh, somewhat infamously, Twitter used to have a completely open API. And you know, you could do whatever you wanted. You could totally re implement every single feature of Twitter in your own client. And at some point they were probably like, I don't know, you know, ACV or something. And and then and then they shut they they basically um what's the word we we uh the world prefers to use now? They basically limited the functionality of that API, which kind of made some clients not work effectively. Um and and maybe the regul that would be fun regulation to be like uh, you know, you can't limit the API that you have so that anyone could build on top of stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe
1: know. what where you're coming at here is like, and maybe this is the di- distinction here between a regulation approach versus yeah. let's call it like a technological approach, right? One would be the regulation is like, hey, you have to all work together, but it's sort of like as any type of regulation in law, it's like completely up to uh, interpretation. And this is why, you know, Matt Levine, like, writes 3,000 words a day about financial stuff. It's like nobody really knows, right? You have to interpret it. But another approach to this would be we're coming out with a, a new protocol, right? Here's the protocol that is going that everyone needs to use. It's going to have all the requirements in here uh, for security and, you know, the ability to, like, do the, the instant reactions, right? Like in uh, iMessage, oh, yes. so that it, it shows up in WhatsApp and it's not, like, some weird-looking thing. So someone sort of sits down and defines defines a protocol, and then you just say the legis- the rule would be everybody has to support this protocol, right? Mm-hmm. So that yeah. would be a way to go. Now the problem there, and I'll just like uh, just the you know the thing that people say is well that sometimes kills innovation, right? If you say you can only use this protocol and you can't vary from it, then um and you can't add on to it. People say, well, what if somebody wants to invent some new idea, right? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah. I
1: don't know. I kind of feel like this is why this is why I think I have the mixed feelings about. The EU, it's like, I don't know. I mean, there, I think there are good intentions somewhere inside of that, right? But then at the end, all we end up with cookie pop ups, and it's like, there's nothing but anger. I have nothing but anger about that. So, it's that, like, that, 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 well, that, that, where we, that, where do we, where do we go? How do we, that is, you know, that
0: is a, a major misstep. All right. I, I, I had three things, but I only remember two of them. First of all, I think, I think this idea of, of, that would be fascinating if there was actually a good, and I think I think I talked about this with respect to, to USB cables at some point. If there was a good evolving sort of uh, uh, protocol or specification, and the law was you have to use this protocol. I don't know. I'd love to experiment with that. I mean, I feel like there's ISO standards and things like that that you have to follow. And, you know, as a kind of wacky but maybe instructional thing, right? Like uh, in many countries... Uh, English is the official language that all law and business is transacted in, right? It, especially in the states, right? I think I think it's the only language now. If you think about English, especially, you know, there's no there's no like I understand that with uh, with uh, France French, so to speak, there is some sort of academy of of French that rules about what the French language is, but there is no such academy in, in English. Oof. So if if you are basing if the protocol of transacting your society your government is english you're compl- you're saying that you have a very chaotic decentralized way of evolving the core of how your society exists which is the english language right so we already know a system that we can adapt if we say this protocol must be followed if the protocol is just like chaos right like it's not it's not uh, it's pretty sloppy but it's definitely possible now now uh third I I am, you know, as you may recall, uh, I believe that capitalism has gone wild with uh, screwdriver types and screw types, right? Like, we don't need, like, five, six different types of putting a screw in a wall. Hex, you got the Phillips head, the flathead, you've got that incomprehensible Phillips head that has these little other blades on it. I don't understand what that's about, right? like And, and I feel like maybe, similarly, just like with too many screwdrivers, maybe uh, messaging uh, standards have gone this far too, right like really we don't need this many ways of doing it, like you know maybe you know maybe it's cool if you want to have like little reaction things, but like sure, we can't imagine what the future has in store for us, but like who cares right like you know i i th- I think we can all kind of agree on the core of messaging and come up with if not a standard with a set of rules about it how how it must be done. And and sure, encryption is kind of kind of a problem, but you know you can always yeah I don't know it, it feels like whenever I hear like something is a technological problem I'm like exactly have the nerds go solve it right like we uh, at one point we put several people on the moon I'm pretty sure we can we can figure out end to end encryption across different messaging uh, platforms.
1: Software Defined Talk is brought to you by the TraceWrap Podcast. Technology solves a lot of problems, but it also leads to one of the biggest problems we have today, e-waste. We all probably contributed to e-waste, throwing away old laptops, upgrading tablets and phones. But did you know that contributes to over 50 million tons of e-waste per year? That's the topic of a recent episode of a great new podcast that I want you to check out, The Trace Route Podcast. The Trace Route Podcast is a seven-part series about the inner workings of our digital world. Each episode includes interviews and stories from some of the leading technologists, entrepreneurs, and innovators of the last 40 years. These people have firsthand, frontline experience solving complex hardware and software problems that no one else has ever faced before. The most recent episode of Trace Route explores sustainability and technology. On the one hand, technology is already providing solutions to sustainability issues and the global climate crisis. But on the other hand, data centers consume 1% of the world's entire energy output per year. How do we reconcile this? How do we tackle this problem? It's a fascinating discussion on the TraceRoute podcast. Another episode I really enjoyed was about Silicon. In the episode, they tell the story of how Bell Labs search for a better switching solution led to the creation of the transistor. And they discussed how Bell Labs' culture of patience helped make this possible. So here's what I want you to do. To listen to the TraceRoute podcast, go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or go to origins.dev and learn more. That's origins.dev. And of course, we thank the TraceRoute podcast for sponsoring our show.
0: All right. Well, it looks like, you know, I I think that the past two years, uh, and maybe this is just like, you know, our generation and generations under us have kind of come of age, and they really have made video gaming, as we used to call it. I think it's just called gaming now. I'm I'm even kind of showing my cards here, so to speak. Hey, that's kind of a fun pun. Uh, But like, I... I I think maybe playing video games is like all segments of the population except maybe our parents like it's it's a it's a core thing uh that people do just like TV or um I don't know ironing uh things like that and and so therefore I think that's why we see all of these acquisitions and and like attempts to get into gaming right I think I think Google shut down its Stadia thing oh. recently they kind of they kind of folded there and it looks like amazon i mean amazon also got into some gaming stuff you know kind of infamously for those of us who just just decide to like we just go to apple and we're like i i don't know here's all my money can you give me everything like you get this ridiculous arcade thing which as far as i can tell doesn't really get you much
1: yeah like, nothing in that in the arcade yeah i feel i
0: feel i feel like just small note here right like i mean come on apple I'm like like you have you have more money than google just, just like, buy EA or something and make that part of it. Well, I think, you app. know, what I think is just is... Just try harder.
1: I think there's that, and it's also, like, you know, here it is. Like, Apple um, Arcade has a lot of casual games, which I kind of like, right? I mean, I like the category. I don't really play lots of games. But then, out of nowhere, somebody just writes Wordle, which is just, like, a super simple Word game. I guess it's just all written, implemented in the browser, and it's, like, the most massive hit. So, like, if you're in charge of Apple Arcade, you just... I don't know. I just think you would just be, like forever frustrated you're like i don't get it like wow you know because like if, if that had come out in like apple an apple arcade a world old person which is this i'm sure it would be a oh, very yeah, easy yeah. thing to build like i'm sure it would be a huge hit but here they have all of these games they have all these graphics and all this other stuff and like no one's playing them so so it must be extremely frustrating to, you know you know maybe
0: you know i'm i'm gonna throw this out there well this is not quite accurate i feel like maybe the apple way is that unless you are an svp you apple does not acknowledge that you exist right so so apple will use its svps as sort of like thought leaders and spokespeople and to be fair there are people below that level in i don't you i don't watch the keynotes like you do uh that that kind of show up but it's not like a personality driven company right or or i should say the personalities that drive it are, are a very small set of people whereas I feel like maybe in gaming there is a huge variety of like whether it's actual people or styles of like personalities. There's a lot of brands that come and go in gaming and Apple is not that really that great at like uh, all of a sudden there's this hot thing, right? Like Apple is very focused on like maybe five or six people whose name, you know, that kind of like represent Apple and then like five or six products that exist. Right. Right. And, And that's it. Like versus like, from my total outsider view, like if you look at gaming, like every six months, there's just like something weird and new happening. That and you I think to so, like but I think this is what gets to
1: at the point of like what I think is kind of interesting to talk about is that, you know, so one, everyone is trying to get into gaming because the charts always show that like the amount of money spent on games is a lot more than on movies and other forms of entertainment. So there's an incredible amount of money that's being spent on it. And then I think to your point about the, the SVP perspective of this is always the same. They kind of like take a look around and I don't mean they actually necessarily play a lot of the games, but they kind of get a sense of like, wow, like there's all these consoles, then there's steam and there's the PC gamers and then there's iPhone games and some mobile games. And I think they all kind of come to the same NBA logical strategy. It's Like, you know what we need to do? It's like, there's just too much. It's just really confusing. Like we need to just bundle all of this together in one group and we'll just pay, you know, 15 99 a month. And we're gonna like that'll drive our services revenue, and clearly people are gonna want this because that's clearly the problem. And it's like, I think the issue is they never actually push into like all the subgenres. To your point around, yes, like what is really going on? Because I, I would like like you, you know, kind of of a certain age. Like I think we kind of came up through like console gaming. I'm probably more casual gamer. Like maybe your entry point was Doom, maybe it was something along those lines. And I think that's like one perspective. But then as I watch kind of like, you know, the youth of today to be the old man. is just like, you know, they have Steam and then they have come up through roadblocks and Epic Uh and like like Steam to an outsider. And I still feel this way when I'm helping my son with it. I am like, this was designed, you know, just to be infuriating. Like Steam, it's got like graphics everywhere. It's complicated. It's confusing. It has lots of configurations. And the games just are like so wide ranging from like, free trash to like very compelling story games. And it's like, and I think what I finally understand is I kind of really watched through my son and his friends plays. Like that's what they want. Right. It's like a free for all. Right. And that is like, they love the free for all because the number one gaming thing that they use, I think is not Twitch. It's YouTube. They watch these videos of people playing these games and they watch people coming up with new ways to play the games that they're familiar with. And the YouTube videos are very scattered and very complex. You know, as an outsider, it looks very unorganized to you. But when I watch them play, I'm like, oh, no, this is what they want. It's And so people come into it like, isn't it confusing? The answer is that is no, not to this group of people. This group of people, this is what they want. They want a free-for-all. They want low quality. They want people trying different stuff. And they want their kind of YouTube stars to just be doing crazy things with the game, like breaking the game. Um, and that's not, that's exactly opposite of what I think you're, you're, let's use your SVP person as the, the straw man. Um, your SVP is not thinking that they're thinking like, this is exactly what people don't want. And it's like, no, yeah, no, they yeah. have what they
0: want. I love, love, love I, I have two thoughts here. One, I, I'm, i like the, 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 the direction you're going because what it, what, what you're doing there is you're initially you have this, uh, get off my lawn sort of, sort of thing going on, but then you're like, hold on. Let me see what actually brings joy to the, the the people who who work in this world, and I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna let flow, like what that situation is and understand what it is they actually want, right? Like I, I like it, and and not that you like it, but you can understand why that's a a well valid thing for them to experience, and and I agree, like that I as listeners will remember at one point I was trying to get Steam set up for my son to play Arc and i feel like you know when when reagan you know uh uh like you know opened up the lunatic asylums or the uh psychological resting homes or whatever in the 80s all those people directly went to go work on steam uh, as <laughs> as the people who did ui stuff and i just i don't i don't know what's going on there it's very complicated but i i think maybe what you're arriving at is that uh and and i don't mean this in a pejorative way is that as a whole the gaming industry abhors elegance, right? It doesn't like simplicity and elegance except with a few exceptions, right? Like there are some categories of games and and I feel like this is the aesthetic of Apple Arcade is it's a very curated, elegant, almost like metaphorically zen garden kind of gaming situation. And and I don't I don't know the only the thing that makes me think of is like you know this whole like you go to YouTube and you find your like chill vibes like study videos <laughs> I feel right. like that that is in the same sort of hemisphere as Apple Arcade but as you're saying I just I don't think that's what the uh, what the gamers are uh, uh, that's that's not what people well want. I think der-
1: certainly I guess and that's the biggest thing that's always commenting like we're, we're getting into the old man yells at ca- cloud which you know m- maybe there but it's sort of like it's more like to me it's an acknowledgement of like no. I I now get it. Like, and I do think, you know, I'm talking mostly about preteens and teenagers, but like, I think kind of the unorganized free for all is the feature. Right. And I think as an outsider until you like, you really watch people start and really become one with that, you're never going to solve gaming. And it's like, because most of this generation has access to that. Like if you want a curated experience, you have Apple arcade, the Nintendo switch, most of the consoles, right? You know, you could just play those games like if that's really what they wanted. But I think when I watched this group interact, it's like, no, they want to be in like Roblox and Epic and like doing crazy stuff, right? They want to be like playing tag inside a virtual world that has nothing, kind of like only loosely is affiliated with the game. Now you can't do that in nintendo because nintendo is like there's an achievement and you're going to do this or like maybe you could do it in like splatoon right which is like yeah but you're kind of limited about what you can do there so so i think that's the whole thing so i think as i watch it and i think the people running these companies are closer to my age than they are the gamers it's like that's what i just think is the mistake they keep making it's like no 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 the the chaos and anarchy is the feature that that people want and your subscription service is never going to bring that
0: so so okay. This brings the second thing that I that I was thinking, which is, I think, you know, recalling back when I did strategy, M and A stuff, and like you know, subsequent times of doing it, there's this there's this uh, you know you're with all the uh, the C suite people, the SVPs, whatever, <laughs> and 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 there's this point in the strategic, especially the the acquisition uh, sort of journey you go through, where you're like let's just put it on one slide, right? (laughs) Like, like we can't, we can't do a four up. Like, you know, we, we can't like cheat by doing, putting four slides on one slide, but like we got to just put this all on one slide, right? Like it's gotta be, I have to be able to show just one slide to people. And that may work for certain types of strategies and acquisitions you want to do. But I think we've just laid out that when it comes to figuring out strategy in the gaming industry, you cannot just put it on one slide right? Like it's a much more complicated, there's a lot more things going on, a lot more variety. And, and like, if you are like looking to enter this business, and you're just like the, um, I don't know, the medium often, uh, like dictates the acquisition strategy, right? And that medium is that you want one slide, right? You want to have like the elevator pitch. But like, I feel like getting into the gaming world, you, you can't do that, right? Like it's, messy is a judgmental way of putting it but i I think another way of putting it is that there are so many different types of games and reasons that people use games and modes that they want to use it in that to reduce it down to one slide is to oversimplify it and uh your strategy is weakened like for example as you were just saying right like you were reminding me that you might have the chaos of, like, all the Minecraft yellers and YouTube and all these other things, but then there's also the Switch, right, which is a more, like, curated sort of elegant thing, and I feel like, you know, my son will easily go between, like, the Switch and Minecraft yellers. Like, they're in the same realm for him, and there's something both of those are equally attractive to them, and he can have, like, the chaos of of YouTube and, and other things as a perfectly valid thing on his plate right next to like, you know, what's the name of the guy that you're paying your mortgage back to in country (laughs) crossing. Like, you know, both of these worlds are perfectly fine for him, but it would be impossible to fit those on the same slide. And I think maybe that, that is why if you're not in the gaming world, it's very difficult for you to uh, kind of drum up a strategy around them. Because like you said, you're always like, I haven't been in this world very much, but you know what this world needs is more simplification. What if we just had... Well, maybe we can
1: tie it off here. It's just to say, and I think the reason that in the executive pitches that this kind of gets compared a lot is that people are using um, movies, film, and TV as this analogy right it's like hey just like we did this from uh movies and tv we can do the same thing from gaming and i think mm. you know certainly with netflix uh excuse me apple winning the oscar this past weekend and and like i think it has now been shown like you can right you can basically if you have enough money go out make original content there's really a well-known way to do it some of it will be good some of it will be bad you can build that into a curated experience inside your app there'll be some competitors, but at the end of the day, people are just looking for things that entertain them, quality programming. And it is something that I think they have successfully taken from movies, something that was only in the movie theater. You can definitely get similar quality if, you know, and and again, using that Oscars as a reference, even quote unquote, the best movie of the year in quotations, right? A, an Apple can do that and Netflix can do that. And I think they keep going back to the analogy. It's like gaming's just like that. And it's like, that's my biggest takeaway is like gaming has very little to do with film and it's not really the same problem. And the more that you're comparing them on your one slide Kote, uh, the more you're just making a mistake.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Be, beware the uh, the one slide strategy poison. Like you, you gotta, you gotta watch out for that. Now, speaking of uh, one slide, uh, I don't think this is strategy poisoning, but uh, <laughs> it, it looks like it looks like the turnaround for Dr. Inc might be working. Now, this is based on, on them getting a, uh, a round of funding, and it uh, looks like a $2 billion valuation. Now, as, as I think we have covered extensively over the years, a valuation before you actually transact on either an IPO or a sale of a company is largely meaningless, right? It could just be whatever, right? Like, it's just, it's just some, some shit on paper. Uh, so, but that's fine. Still, uh, I, I think, you know, and, and it's not that I paid that close of attention to this stuff, but I I, I mean, tell me your perspective. But I, I feel like, you know, what seemed like a risky move in kind of splitting up Docker between the, um, I don't know, let's call it the server side Docker and the DevTools Docker. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like it seemed a little bit like, I I don't know what's going on here. But like, I feel like maybe I don't I can't speak for what uh, Marantzis has been up to. But I feel like on the Docker Inc side, I don't know. Seems to be going
1: okay. Well, yeah. Well, think back. I mean, I think well, one thing the valuation is a proxy for is like you can debate what it's worth, but they have some. They clearly have some real revenue if they're getting to this level, right? So that's like, true. You know, that's true. And I think there was kind of like at one point it was uh, like a hundred million dollars was thrown around or something like that, and then I think. You know, it wasn't that long ago when they made the switch, right? They announced that you'd have to pay for Docker desktop. I think it was like in yeah. certain parameters. And I, I don't know. I know I remember being very skeptical of that. I can't remember how we all can, can,
0: can I, I'm interrupting you, but can I tell you one of my favorite stories about Docker desktop? Because <laughs> it really ties together a lot of my commentary about software. So my teammate, great, you know, great guy, Josh Long, he yeah. had this. Uh, I think he posted this in our Slack channel. He was like, oh. You know, whenever Josh talks, you need to pay attention because he doesn't—he doesn't talk very much. Right. So,
1: and- so for everyone, he's sort of like the demo god of spring, right? Exactly. Do, is, okay. Exactly. Uh, he's, he's
0: phenomenal, and and he had this this long. Every now and then he shows up in our Slack channel and fills several pages of of just stuff with commentary, which is, it's always priceless. And he said, ah, I had been spending hours and days trying to like figure out getting Docker desktop set up and doing this and the the registries. And then I realized maybe I should just pay for it. And then all my (laughs) problems went away. And, And it was like, yes, that is right. If you pay for software, your problems go away. That is what we are all trying to achieve Uh, so go on
1: no well that's listen I mean I think maybe that story encapsulates you know a lot of people came to the same conclusion either it was easier to pay for because it provided some obvious value to like in the case of Josh's experience or maybe someone from the the legal team just you know kind of got the invoice sent over it's like hey you you know it turns out you gotta start paying for this and you gotta accept this license and people are just you know okay with it so I think it's an, it's, it is, it's an impressive turnaround. I mean, it, I, I don't know. I was trying to think of another example of like a software company that sort of like broken itself up like this and like kind of reemerged mm. and, and kind of in the same general area without like, you know, completely like, like Nokia was like, yeah you know, selling rubber shoes or something and it became a phone company some kind of story like that. But like, I don't know this, it is impressive. So we'll have to see, I mean, you know, and I think maybe it's the power of the brand here, right? It's just like, you know, to Josh's yeah. question, right? Like, if Josh super smart, right? And I'm sure he knows, you know, all of the solutions that he could use. The fact that he ultimately was like, instead of, hey, I'm a Docker desktop is now paid, I'm gonna move and do something different and it's gonna be better. The fact that he is we'll use him as just the 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 kind of the straw man is like the fact that he sort of like it's easier just to pay it just tells you it's like, hey, when you get the brand strong enough and you get enough people. Yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds like you can you can turn on uh, the, the cash flow, at least for now, at least for the moment. So, you know, good for Docker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I agree. I'm I'm uh, it's good to see they're doing well. And and as uh, I also like I'm always interested, not always, but one of the other side notes is the um, the uh, the former VP of marketing and product. Uh, Scott Johnson is now the CEO of Docker. He, he went over there to be the uh, the VP. And I remember, you know, back back long ago. In the late two thousands, I talked with him a lot because, of course, I covered Puppet and Chef and all those other people. So uh, that's you know, I I like to see. I mean, having worked in marketing for many years, when one of my marketing friends uh, becomes the CEO, I think that's that's a win for all. Yeah, Donnie,
1: don't you have uh, is in uh, Donnie, a former Redmond colleague? Uh, I, Red, he, Red he, Monker? I think,
0: does he still work there? I, I At one point, he is, was the VP of Product. I he did was work about to give him.
1: I was gonna say, well, maybe he moved on. So I mean, well, we, I was about to say, well, look, hey, man, maybe he's he's sort of cracking the code. And if it's That's, not him, I apologize. Then we will just give it to the new credit to the. New I know, I, I know. Darker. That's
0: it's it's dangerous because because if if we got this wrong, Donnie's the kind of guy who will never let us forget that. He'll That's always... fine. We'll just
1: tag us in the podcast. Tag the podcast every time. That'd yeah, be great yeah. when you're criticizing us. Just get us yeah. some publicity.
0: I miss that guy. It'd be fun to run into him again. He's he's fun to hang out with. He's a uh, he's a good guy. All right, well uh you know i i think i think good job for the docker people one slide strategy in the gaming industry very difficult and uh you know i i think maybe at some point brandon what we should do is we need to revisit the best slide of was it was it 2012 2018 i forget when it was but we we've got to we've got to revisit that slide of what the doc what docker's ultimate goal for world domination was and and see if they realized it or not. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff, and critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by your peers at SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check out StrongDM for yourself with a no BS demo. I'm pretty sure that's an abbreviation for some cussing. Sign up at strongdm.com sdt. That's strongdm.com sdt. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, do we have any bureaucracy this episode, Brandon.
1: We do. We have a bunch of things. So first, uh, I wanted to thank David. He uh, wrote in, and so I sent him a new laptop sticker. And then uh, Ken from the Netherlands, Cote. Uh, so this is up your alley. He says he likes your idea of putting uh, the software-defined talks sticker on the bike. So he's going to do that. So what I told him was, okay, well. You know, if you take the wrong bike, but it has a sticker on it, it's co-taste. So that's it. So, so that's, there's, you know, <laughs> right, exactly. There's probably only two of
0: us in the yeah, whole country. It. So,
1: you know, so Ken knows. Um, and also uh, Ken wanted to quote voice uh, support for the Kensington export mouse trackball. I've been using them for more than a decade. I own two, one in my office at home and one in my office in Amsterdam. I do realize that I may own the entire install base of the Netherlands. So for people who are wondering, uh, we now can calculate the full total addressable market for trackballs. It's Matt Ray, <laughs> it's two. It's oh, Matt four. Ray. I, think Matt, I think Matt Ray has two in Amsterdam. We know Ken <laughs> has two in the Netherlands. And I think I got one other email. So I'm going to say it's about five. That oh, is the wow. entire yes. uh, total addressable mar- market of these trackballs. I just I haven't <laughs> looked it up, and I was like, wow, I can't believe Matt and Ken are using these. But hey, <laughs> to each their own. Maybe maybe Matt and Ken need to get on and do a whole episode. Like, why can't they use the touchpad? Like, what's like, I, if you're not a mouse person, you, wouldn't you just use the trackpad? I don't know. So I hope Ken and, and Matt can do you know a three hour episode on that. I,
0: you know, you know, I feel like we have talked about trackballs so much, I might need to get one. Just to kind I'm of not, see what I'm see not what getting one.
1: Is. You you check in. Uh well, because every time I see the trackball now, this is a, a long time recommendation. I've been watching Severance on Apple TV. Absolutely love it. I'm all in. But anyway, there's a little scene where they're using trackballs, and it always reminds me of Matt and now Ken. That's what I think of. Uh, a few <laughs> other quick hits here. Uh Jordy, uh good friend Jordy, he wants you to work at Harness. Ryan wants you to become the chief of staff for the CISO, a data dog. Kote, I was thinking about when I wrote this in today, I was like, man. I would never hire Cote as a chief of staff. I don't know. Just when I was putting it in there, I was just like, I was like that job. And I, nor would I hire myself, but I was like, man, I would never hire Cote as a chief of staff. No, so was, no. that was the immediate reaction I had. But but don't worry. That doesn't mean Cote is a bad person. It's not the right job for him. So you can go in the jobs channel and you can find other jobs. No, I, one, I, I, I was
0: mm-hmm. talking with a with, with coworker recently and what we realized is that like, yes, I would be a terrible chief of staff, but I would be a great, sort of manager executive if i did have a chief of staff i was thinking that, the same thing. That, I, I, was, I was, you I would
1: need. be like a good chief maybe you are chief but i was like yeah you you, you would be good you you just got to know your role there and then uh finally here i just want to say andrew wants you to work at deep factor uh and if you do join there they were talking in the chat chat uh you will be known as a deep factorium if I'm saying that right. So that's that's the name of their employees. their, their employee. so it's, it's Wait, let of Let say. me see. It's deep, like deep, fac-
0: deep factorianomen. It, yeah, because so it, it's uh, in an NM. Yeah, which it's, I like, think.
1: it's almost like, it's kind of like factorial as an, I don't know, like a noun. So I don't know. I was, I've never seen anything like that. So yeah. So I, it seems like a good place though. I don't know. It seems like they're doing stuff. So if you want to know anything about these jobs or other jobs, you should just join the SDT Slack, uh, join the jobs channel. All of these jobs are posted in there where you can ask questions about them. Um, you can ask questions about being, um, how to pronounce that that word, about being a factorium uh, employee. So so check all that out. And then finally, as I mentioned before, if you want a sticker, just send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world.
0: Well, there, there are several conferences to go over. Uh, Brandon's mentioned it. But if you want to see all of them, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 351. Now, today, uh, we wrapped up our .NET Beyond Conference. I, I had the great pleasure of, uh, it, it was a fun, uh, you might want to check out this format, Brandon, but it was a good format where it was kind of like uh, discussion-presentation hybrid talks. So, so I, I had a whole talk where there was a few slides uh, with, with uh, Stacy and uh, they, they went over, um, there were a few things there, but it was, it was get this. Just hold on to your your pants here. Okay. It was a discussion about modernizing a Silverlight application oh. in for a oh. Netherlands company, okay. and, and it was just like oh, it, it was it was exquisite. There was another talk about a person, uh, a guy Lewis hacking into uh, Kubernetes, basically. But it was a fun conference. Now you can see the recordings of it if you uh, go to the show notes. Well, actually, not because Brandon deleted it just now, but just look up net Beyond Conference and uh, and, and which is in the, the show you notes. Know.
1: It's in there. It's you. You're, it's back now. And I will. I'm actually gonna like. Hey, Silverlight. That's kind of like that's you know that's my legacy conf information, right? Those are kinds exactly. of stuff uh, I'm I'm interested in learning about. So I will. I, they, I will they, look that
0: up. Both of those talks had a lot of interesting insights. I, I really enjoyed them. Now, also there uh, there is that conference uh, over there in Round Rock, which is to say Austin. Uh, at May 23rd and 26th. Sadly, I won't be there. We got Raymond a bunch of DevOps... They
1: will be there doing something. We don't know what, yes, but it's going to exactly. be
0: great. It, it, it'll be a software-defined talk moment. Maybe that's what we should start calling it. But mm-hmm. also, there's uh, several DevOps days in Birmingham, uh, Chicago. I'll be at the Austin one uh, May 4th and 5th. And we also have a spring tour coming up, where I will be, uh, April 26th and 27th. And there's some other conferences like Mongo's and Splunk's and things like that. And then finally... December 6th to 8th is going to be our Spring 1 platform. Now, I have a, uh, a request for the listeners. And that is, once again this year, we're having our second uh, DevOps Loop conference uh, here at VMware. Um, and it's, the, the, it's going to be two parts. The first part will be online, uh, as it was last year. And then, and then get this, Brandon. This you'll, you'll enjoy this. At VMworld, we are going to have a The Cube style uh, video setup oh, where I'm going to, I'm okay. going to interview people. For the, the DevOps loop sort of interview thing. So I have two asks for our audience. One of the the first one is more urgent. If there are people in the DevOps and also the application development world that you think would be great to speak at this conference, I I'd, I'd like to know about them because we're rounding up some speakers. And the theme that that we've put in place this year uh, is, as I like to think of it, putting the dev back in DevOps, right? So I want to have some discussions of like if you're an application developer, what's going on? in your mind when it comes to DevOps, right? So let's talk a lot about more about like application programming than the, uh, the usual, uh, I shouldn't say usual. I'm being kind of dismissive there, but let's, let's weigh more on the dev side. So, uh, I don't know, uh, if, if you have some ideas there, that would be interesting. And then also I'll want to be interviewing some people at uh, vmworld VM world for our DevOps loop, uh, video thing, which would also be uh, good to hear. Now with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this episode? All right.
1: Well, back to, um, Some discussion about regulation and legal systems. So today I'm going to uh, recommend basically the small app uh, developer assistance.com. And so turns out that if you were an iOS app developer uh, between certain periods of time and you actually put an app uh, in the app store, you can potentially get part of the payout. And depending, uh, at a minimum, you can get $250, but if you sold more, depending on how much you sold, then you can, uh, and then I guess your app needed to be in there between 2015 and 2021. So Kote, as you know, I uh, put an app out there during that period of time. And I actually got That's a phone right. call from someone. And of course, you never answer your phone, right? No one answers the phone. And I got no. a voicemail. So normally I would, this came across to me as like, I was like, this must be some form of scam or something like this. But the way that the person left the message was so indifferent. They're just like, I'm calling you to let you know that you may be eligible for this. Like, they just don't even care, right? The fact that they were just so indifferent made me be like, oh, huh, that's interesting that this person called because they don't really seem to care at all. So I looked it up. Everything looks legit. You can go through. If you uh, had an app between that period of time, it's fairly easy. You fill out a web form. And then in June, if the judge accepts our uh, terms, you know, because now I'm part of the, of the entire uh, <laughs> developer community, Then uh, we're all gonna get some payouts and they'll even pay you via like Venmo and stuff. So, so I'm interested now that I'm part of this giant class action lawsuit, you know, will I get my money from Apple? And of course, what's even funnier about the whole thing is I actually thought the App Store was like a miracle. The fact that you could build an app and like put it out there and like, you know, People could buy it and you would somehow get money. I, even to this day, I know people are like all upset with the Apple splits, but I'm just like, wow, I think it's incredible that it even existed and that I made a tiny bit of money um, and got to like kind of scratch an itch of, of building an app. So really, thank you to Apple for building the app store. And then thank you to whoever's running this lawsuit. I hope I get my $250, which will probably equal all the sales I've ever made from it. So that's you're, a great you're, investment you're gonna of my time. You're going to double your revenue. Probably. I have to, like, in- invent a whole new line item on the financial uh, statement to uh, show where that income is coming from. So it would be now, great. Now,
0: now in, in, in the words of the dude, you know, you might have to talk to your accountant about this uh, this increase. You know, you, you might be going up a tax bracket. Well, that's great. With- For
1: everyone that has, like, a side hustle that's not doing well, there's nothing more. Uh, it's kind of like your annual MBR, annual business review, when you have to kind of disclose this to your accountant. they're like, what is this? And you're like, well, I was doing this thing. And they're like, what? And that's all you sold? You're like. Yeah, I just, yeah, can we just put it on there? There's a line on the tax form for that, but <laughs> it's always a brutal moment. So yeah, sorry, I'll work harder next year, Mr. Accountant.
0: All right, well, I have a recommendation that is more of a, a, more of a technique. So my, um, now listen, as you're doing, long-term listeners know my position on family pets, so I'm not going to reprise that. But, but, but through a series of uh, delightful events, we now in our house uh, have two snakes, uh, that that my my son has. And uh, one of the snakes was a hognose snake, which, which um, you know, uh, Kim, my wife, she feels uncomfortable about the hognose snake because I it, she is right. It kind of looks like a rattlesnake. Not exactly, but it, it has, you know, it throws off some of those vibes. Now, the hognose snake, what you do with, with uh, juvenile or baby snakes is you feed them um, basically baby mice. Uh, pinkies, as they call them, which, whatever, you already own snakes, so you're just sort of like circle of life through through this whole situation. Um, But the hog knows, no problem, it'll eat a snake. But we got this other snake called a, I shouldn't say we, my son and my wife have this other snake called the African house snake, and it's very small and very young, and it was not eating for a while. And then my wife looked up, Kim looked up how you should feed this, and what you do is you take some tweezers and you take the, the defrosted pinky uh mouse because you buy them frozen and then you got to defrost them first you defrost them in some warm water so they kind of warm up and then you've got to take some tweezers and basically do this like theatrical thing where you you're holding the mouse in front of the snake's head and you're bouncing it around as if it were alive and then uh I, i didn't think this would work after all their attempts but sooner or later, I don't know what my son calls the African house snake, but it basically just bit onto that, that mouse. And then you kind of like shove the mouse into, into its mouth until it feels like it has it all the way, and then the mouse starts eating. So I think that technique, you know, I've also heard techniques that you want to like puncture the head so some of the brain juice comes out so they eat it. You can also <sighs> cut it into three parts, the, the mouse, so that it'll eat it that way. But I start with the, if you have a snake that's not eating. Start with the technique of warming it up in some hot water and then holding it with some tweezers and waving it around in front of it. Now, I don't even like having to feed the fucking dog. And next thing you know, I'm having to do this whole thing to feed a goddamn snake. And, you know, it is... Uh, I, just, I just feel like I've already got, like, you know, including myself, like, five living things in the house that we have to work on feeding. And now and now this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm figuring out how to feed, like, a just-born mouse to a snake that is reluctant to eat it. Whereas, like, I would just enjoy getting any sort of smoked meat. If you put that in front of me, you don't have to have it in <laughs> tweezers and wave it in front of me. I'll eat it. And this snake, I don't know what its problem is. Anyhow, obviously you don't have any problems because you've listened to this entire episode and uh, you you know how to live your life correctly. Uh, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 351. You can also join our Slack channel. We have lots of delightful conversations about uh, things we'll talk about. I don't know, other stuff going on there. Uh, it's fun to to join. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.
1: Man, I don't know what to say about that recommendation, Kote. I was, that's that's brutal. That's <laughs> that brutal. Uh, well, hey, listen, thanks to everyone in the chat. We had a good crew uh, today. really appreciate everyone listening. And no, Matt, Matt is okay. Uh just uh Matt is in the final phase of the time change. So next week I believe (laughs) believe, time is uh, a circle. It is. I believe (laughs) they I believe Australia falls back I don't know, springs back. I don't know how they say it down there, but they'll he'll go back an hour and then I think we'll all be like on a good schedule again. At least I hope that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna
0: gonna emerge from his chrysalis like the caterpillar (laughs) in Alice in Wonderland, I think is is what happens, right? (laughs)
1: the hardcore fans there's a whole exegesis episode that i think is it's in the uh the feed now where yeah. we broke down docker when the the former sap person i think took over I, th- so, I thought uh, it
0: was or was, or was, it, was it somebody SAP else? or was it the um
1: it was like their big time ceo came in yeah we, yeah we did a whole episode about our prediction i have to go listen myself to see if uh to see i think we i feel like we came out pretty good on that one but oh yeah um, that
0: was a great slide it i think we'd have to like... go back and listen Talk about um, a one-slide strategy. That, right. that was that was it right there. One last thing for for the streamers' delight. I the, I, I have this article on uh, the CNCF annual survey that we're that uh, is going to be in um, is it InfoQ, whatever, one of those. And and I, I made a chart that showed people developers using Kubernetes versus not a pie pie graph. And and it was like I don't know. Let's just say sixty-eight percent using Kubernetes. So I put using Kubernetes. And then that would be uh, 32% who are not using Kubernetes. So I called that notternetis. And uh, the the copy editor was like, uh, I'm not familiar with this term, noternetes." <laughs> and then the editor, the editor, you know, kind of like the whatever you call them, the, the editor in charge of it, like it was, it was, I should have taken a screenshot, but they kind of explained what the joke was and they were like, but, but I, I get it. And so. So did it stay in? I think so. I think ah, so. Nice. Nice.